It's now 14 weeks since the first lockdown in China, seven weeks since the lockdown in Italy, and five weeks in the UK where I am. I'm Richard Edgar. Every Thursday, I talk to Fidelity's global chief investment officer, Andrew McCaffrey, for an update on the developments in his thinking and his team's response to the economic chaos being caused by the coronavirus crisis. This week, we ran through the risks of long-lasting damage to economies around the world and a worrying lack of cooperation between the nations in how they respond. Hello, Andrew. Good afternoon, Richard. To kick us off today, I'm interested to see if there's anything that you've bought at home since the lockdown that you never thought you'd own. Well, you might have thought it'd be something technology linked, but uh, it wasn't. I had to buy myself a um, different hat to uh, support going for dog walks early and in the rain. Fortunately, early uh, is ongoing. Rain hasn't appeared. Right. Okay. So I'm sure it will come in handy at some <laughs> stage, though. Um, uh, but people are buying technology, aren't they? Things like um, bread makers or so on. And um, d- you know, are you seeing some long-term trends? I'll, I'll get a, um, a proper question out of this yet. Um, uh, are you seeing some long-term trends that can, in consumer behaviour, maybe? So I think it's been very interesting when you look at uh, things like Google Trends, um, that you know, where the, the interest has, has been. So to your point uh, around bread makers, um, but also a number of different domestic appliances, uh, you know, down to just laptops. Um, and uh, clearly people have been buying a variety of goods that they are you know, thinking that one will help them survive lockdown and two will allow them to communicate more effectively. So some longer term trends emerging, but of course, potentially longer term damage to the economy as well, caused by um, huge changes beyond your hat, perhaps. Um, at yesterday's Federal Reserve briefing, the chair, Jerome Powell, pretty much ruled out a V-shaped recovery. Here he is. As ongoing public health crisis will weigh heavily on economic activity, employment and inflation in the near term and poses considerable risks to the economic outlook over the medium term. And I would point to a couple of risks to the outlook. First is just the virus. How long will it take to get it under control? Will there be additional outbreaks? The second is the possibility of damage to the productive capacity of the economy. Mr. Powell, now he was talking there about the US, but the way that different countries have managed the crisis will shape how badly they're affected, and of course, how long. Um, Where do you think um, is particular risk and, and where's handled this well? I think the reality is that it's still too early to know for sure. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You can look at um, smaller countries um, such as someone like Slovakia that had lockdowns very quickly and moved to uh, you know, control what they were uh, doing um, uh, to ensure uh, degrees of social distancing and, uh, and try and minimise uh, uh, risk. Uh, you look to um, South Korea, which you know, very quickly after that first wave uh, you know, moved to distinct contact tracing to testing um, and appear to have uh, managed that very well with the uh, the fact that we saw, um, uh, you know, only in this last uh, 24 hours that um, uh, announcement of uh, zero cases being uh, announced there. I think that, um, uh, you know, it will be interesting what we see come out of um, someone like Germany and Sweden, uh, different approaches, but seeing lower levels of cases being reported and, and obviously um, fewer deaths um, to, to date. Um, but you know, trends that show signs of possibly increasing. So, and and also um, you know, clear damage to the economy within that framework as well. Uh, and then there's obviously the uh, the very um, uh, worrying result, especially at a human level, that we've seen in Italy and Spain, and um, obviously uh, here in the UK, as well as uh, the the larger impact into the US. And I think it's far too early to to really assess whether it's good or bad. 
because um, you know, we have so much more to see of what are the lasting impacts. And I think, um, as you heard from uh, uh, the, the chairman, uh, Jerome Powell, that um, there's the, the impact of the virus and what that means that um, uh, trying to get some degree of control around that. But there's also the productive capacity that's being impacted. And, and this goes back to something we've discussed a great deal. It's very hard to assess um, you know, the depth of loss in activity and income, but then the longevity and the speed of um, recovery in terms of the phased process that we will see in the months ahead. So I, I think, um, uh, you know, to, to summarise, too early to be confident about anyone has done a particularly terrible job or a particularly uh, great job. Um, but the consequences, uh, you know, we still have a lot more to find out, um, you know, in the weeks ahead. And I think his point that, uh, that sort of sharp bounce back, certainly we would um, agree with, is going to be very challenged. Possibly unlikely. Well, in the same briefing, we heard that um, Chairman Powell warned that central bank intervention can't solve everything. So what, what else needs to happen? What can governments do, but also companies and even private individuals? Um, I think there are uh, you know, a number of things to do. I mean, first of all, that um, uh, you know, it's important that governments get um, you know, this intervention money into the right hands so that you know, you're creating the degree of, of confidence um, and support that things can return to some level of activity later, but they're actually supported in this interim period. I think there are actually challenges around that. You know, we're seeing it from the extent to unemployment uh, uh, going up in the in the US and the challenge is about to be redeployed and the income loss um, that that means in uh, you know, the short term. Uh, you know, is the system working to be able to uh, you know, manage those number of uh, claims and so people feeling um, you know, uh, uh, comfortable and able to uh, uh, you know, support themselves? For, for companies, one of the challenges uh, is that we've seen you know, this incredible level of intervention from central banks and from uh, you know, government support. But again, is the degree to which um, you know, some of those uh, companies it will get to get access to the, the funding. Um, what will it mean as we move into the process of securing uh, longer term funding and more importantly, degrees of recapitalization? Um, and then that turns to what are the incentives um, that are created uh, you know, to enable uh, that longer term capital to come from private sources, as well as from maybe the governments acting as transition managers or long term holders as well, um, that they can um, bring to bear. And I think the challenge in the, the moment is the fact that we're very focused on to how to address you know, keeping things liquid, keeping turnover. The challenges of that transition process have not even really been thought about fully. And so I think that that's where we may see elements of sort of retrospective um, conditionality, some uh, you know, addressing of how the intervention has been provided and how it uh, reforms, and also the, the conditionality around that transition um, uh, process to uh, you know, ensure that there are other aspects included into um, uh, you know, the behaviours they want to see from uh, the corporate community and more broadly across um, society. So just to explain then, the conditionality that you're talking about, those are conditions applied on the help that is being given to, to companies about how they behave in future um, in, uh, in return for getting the support. Yes, and I think that it's, it's you know, important at the moment that they're keeping um, uh, you know, the, life, um, <clears throat> uh, the life in these companies and therefore uh, 
uh, you know, these are things that will be addressed as we go through the process of trying to think of how to um, you know, manage and get uh, you know, activity back to more normal levels, but also that um, uh, you know, how this huge amount of intervention manifests itself in terms of debt and then you know, equity um, uh, capital as well. And I think that's where it goes back to different parts of society and even down to the individual of motivating them to want to be part of participating in that significant recapitalization process that will be required over time. Um, and, you know, that will take time. How is that going to happen, Andrew? Is that, is that going to, how are you going to attract that um, uh, private money, the individual's um, uh, money, um, to um, help in this, um, in this rebuilding, uh, if you like? Is there going to have to be innovation around products as well? I think there will need to be. I think there has to be uh, innovation around the thinking of uh, governments and how they transition that process. I think the degree to thinking of uh, you know, maybe stakes that they take on, um, you know, companies that they effectively have interim nationalisation of in many ways, that uh, they provide discounted stakes back into uh, the populations, that they incentivise them possibly through the, the savings vehicles, the tax benefits. I think there's a variety of things, you know, regulation as well, to um, that may lead to new products that maybe are geared and named uh, around the events that we're seeing now, but also that um, you know, over time, have preference to being able to provide that long-term, you know, equity capital versus what today is predominantly, uh, you know, debt, um, you know, being provided to to ensure that things can keep going. And it's back to the conversation we've had before around that transition from liquidity to solvency. And I think that to um, incentivize, you know, individuals through to large um, uh, collective investors. Uh, you know, it's going to have to be thought through and will take some time. So, you know, why we keep going back to the fact that the consequences from what we're seeing that's happened so rapidly is going to be months and longer in the, the making of how we uh, you know, address that situation for the long term. One thing I want to ask you is that during the global financial crisis, there seemed to be remarkable cooperation, particularly between central banks, um, but also uh, national governments as well. And this time, I'm not really sensing that um, in quite the same way. Does that does that worry you? Um, it does, if I'm honest, because it's uh, you know what what's going to happen in the uh, the aftermath. At the moment, we're seeing obviously you know authorities respond um, you know in individual countries um, very rapidly, and I think that. You know, we shouldn't lose sight of the the, uh, the pace and and size of that um, intervention has been remarkably impressive. Um, but it has been primarily on an individual country or a you know, distinct regional um, framework in in Europe's case. But it has left, I think, uh, you know, an interesting position where you haven't seen um, you know that level of explicit coordination, um, that a degree of making sure that. All of the uh, the risks that permeate through a global system, you know, are being thought about and uh, addressed. Um, and I think that the challenge as well is that you know the um, repercussions may be um, you know uh, a degree of trying to um, apportion blame, and we're seeing elements of that in the uh, the attacks on China um, and the fact that it was already quite you know, fragile relationships that we had, um, you know, coming into this period that, uh, you know, that could all of a sudden become, uh, you know, much more uh, fractious again. And so I think it, it, it is worrying because there's, there's, a, there's a how do we get out uh, from this process as well. Um, and that needs, you know, synchronized growth, globalized, um, you know, approach 
and neither of those look likely. That was what I was going to ask you is how much do we need to have a global approach? But um, you're saying that's what we do have to have to, to try and um, bring everybody together to, to, to re- through the recovery. I think that on, on that, that it's important because it comes back to, to one of the things I think that's important from an investment perspective as well is that um, you know, how countries have managed this. And despite my um, you know, question marks about the uh, too early to see who's really done a great job and, and who's done uh, you know, what proves to be a poor job is that the more important and how we how we value that as well. But from an economic perspective, um, that you know, you're going to see countries moving at different paces. You're going to see different attributes around um, the protection of borders and protection of, of supply chains um, from different countries. And that, I think, is challenging in what it means um, over time for elements of uh, you know, pricing, for um, uh, you know, human capital and the cost of that, wages and the like, and also for the degree to which we have the free-flowing trade globally versus something that is far more localised and, uh, uh, and far more frictional in nature. What's your focus over the next um, week or two? What are you telling your investment teams to prioritise? So I think that uh, one of the things that um, uh, you know, we've seen emphasised through uh, uh, the announcement today from Shell is um, uh, you know, some of the things that we were concerned about around you know, who um, would be cutting dividends, um, the repercussions from that analysis playing out. I think um, you know, it's great that, one, we had been anticipating some of these risks and so uh, our exposure um, you know, had been negligible and had been much lower in the uh, in, in banks, in uh, the energy um, sector, and in terms of expectations there, as well as um, for uh, sustainability uh, reasons uh, in many cases. But I think that, uh, you know, focus on to seeing what this now means in terms of behaviours is key to try and navigate who is starting to show um, you know, levels of real uh, you know, pain in terms of uh, activity and balance sheet, but also to then from that, the, the sort of micro to macro of understanding, you know, how that uh, has implications in this case, not just in the energy sector, but um, you know, what does it mean in terms of broader uh, you know, demand profiles? What does it mean as it flows through economies in different forms, uh, not just through pure use of um, fossil fuel, but uh, you know, into to wider aspects of what we see as impacting um, uh, demand? And so I think that you know, we'll start to look at those as that evidence comes through from uh, companies they're reporting and the degree to which uh, that gives us confidence in terms of um, uh, you know, some of our positioning or uh, means that we need to, uh, to review and um, consider uh, uh, you know, how to, to reposition as that new evidence uh, comes in. I think the, the other part um, that's uh, very focused on is that you know, we've seen the healing process more broadly in markets um, continue. Markets have traded you know, very well um, in price levels, especially um, obviously in uh, many equity markets. It's been interesting to see that led by the same things that led the markets up prior to COVID-19. So growth orientation, technology, um, which uh, you know, expect to do well, but th- those factors being still very um, uh, clearly there. Funnily enough, just literally in the last um, day or two, we saw some uh, switches um, from uh, you know, growth and value orientation uh, across certain markets. So I, I think things like that, where again looking for signals that show something that either supports um, that the sustainability of this recovery um, 
in markets or maybe uh, challenge that because we're up to the levels where I think that um, uh, you know, sustainability of this really is that you believe in the V-shaped recovery. And as we heard from uh, you know, Jerome Powell, he's not a true believer. Um, you know, we still think that's very challenging. And so one needs to be uh, you know, monitoring very closely um, whether we're at a stage that uh, you know, market's ability to keep building on this rally actually starts to um, uh, you know, find very little support um, from the, the reality of what's happening to uh, both the economy but also to the individual companies. Can I ask you just one uh, last question, uh, if I may, about airlines? Because that's something else that's been um, in the news in the last couple of days and in particular the behaviour of, um, of airlines. On the one hand, you've got a company like Lufthansa where um, the debate is about the support that it will get from the government and one of the key conditions there is um, maintaining employment. On the other, you've got British Airways owned by IAG where they've taken a very different uh, um, line of argument um, and have sent out um, predictions that are going to be sacking about a third of their staff and doing that very, very quickly and um, with, with a view to a very different um, environment for airlines when the recovery comes. Um, what do you make of those two different approaches? I think, again, this plays back to um, what we've discussed of uh, uh, you know, the difference in how countries behave and what they see as uh, you know, important um, you know, within their borders. I think that you know, it's important to remember the British Airways part of IAG, which is a multinational uh, company. Uh, you know, Lufthansa being very distinctly a, a German um, company. Um, and the degree as well to which intervention takes place at this stage, um, obviously, we've uh, you know, had that support being reflected from uh, uh, the German government. Um, you know, slightly different position in terms of uh, you know, what we've seen for uh, you know, airlines uh, in terms of linkages uh, to the UK. Um, so I think that you know, it, it's a reflection of companies having to respond to the environment they're in and what they perceive will be uh, you know, degree of support and also the impact of intervention that is direct or not um, you know, for these companies. And then this is interesting because um, you know, we look around the world, how these different profiles play out will give us insights into whether uh, you know, companies will be able to um, uh, you know, survive, um, but the nature of how they will operate, um, the profitability likely to be linked to uh, to that, and the time of being able to get back into a position that you know being private, um, you know, in every sense. So I, I think this is just a, a microcosm of a broader issue, um, which we could look across. It's not uh, you know, the actual airlines, but the the makers of uh, the airlines, someone like Boeing, currently negotiating with the US government. Um, and I think a very important insight is what happens there around you know, support, the nature of that support, what it means for um, you know, what they main, maintain over time. Th these are all signals, I think, again, that play back to individual country approaches and sadly, not a very um, you know, sort of global thought process that's taking place. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much indeed, Andrew. That's the end of this CIO update. You can hear more from Fidelity's investment team on the coronavirus crisis, market response and investment implications on both our Rich Pickings and Fidelity Answers podcast channels. Just search for Rich Pickings or Fidelity Answers in your podcast app. And you can also read all of the latest thinking online at fidelityinstitutional.com. My colleagues Steve Gardner and Charlie Humphreys produced and edited this podcast. Alex Wilcox made sure the tech was working. That's all from us at Fidelity for now. Goodbye.
This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website, professionals.fidelity.co.uk forward slash about hyphen fidelity.